This is for the church. This is for the Christians, for the people who have received Christ as their personal Savior. Paul is giving us a formula to experiencing true, lasting joy in our lives. And so let's read these four verses, beginning chapter 4 of Philippians. It's in the New Testament, toward the end of the Bible. Chapter 4, and beginning with verse 4. Now Mark uh, already alluded to this verse that we studied last week, but it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and then he repeats it. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious. Say anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that word peace, the peace of God, has to do with, I'm going to talk about it in just a few moments a little more deeply, but it it has to do with quietness. It has to do with rest. And the quietness and the rest and, and, and that, that atmosphere that, we're, that, that conjures up, that's the peace of God. It surpasses our ability to even comprehend it, Paul says. Now last week, we learned that authentic rejoicing, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, we learned that authentic rejoicing is rooted in something. What is it rooted in? It's rooted in the realization that when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, He is always, not most of the time, not some of the time, but all of the time, always with us and will never leave us. That's the root of joy, of joy. That's the root of rejoicing, knowing that Christ is in us. He will never leave us, will always be with us at all times. That's the reason we can rejoice, because it is in the Lord. That's why he said, in the Lord, so many times. When Christ, who has overcome the world, the Bible says, is in us, by his presence and by his power in our lives, we then have the ability to rejoice, and not to just rejoice, but to rejoice consistently. That's a problem for me. I don't know, you ever, ever had that problem? I, 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 I can rejoice from time to time. The problem is keeping it consistent. I, I have struggled with that sometimes. I, I hope I'm perhaps confessing your problem too. But one, two, and three. So God wants us to rejoice as we're diving into these, this next, next uh, section here. God wants us to rejoice. Number two, we need a relationship with Jesus in order to rejoice. And number three, if rejoicing gets difficult, then we need to ask Jesus for his help. And that's where we're headed. That's pointing us in the direction that Paul is going to take us. So this promise of Jesus to never leave us, which means he will never abandon, he will never abandon a Christian. Jesus will never abandon a Christian. It's an incredible concept, almost too good to be true to me. You remember when you first got your driver's license? How many of you remember that? I was just reminiscing about that. And uh, I was thinking, you know, that was, that was a tremendous moment in my life when I passed that test. And, you know, we had to do the hard way, park it and parallel park and all that stuff. And uh, I was sweating bullets because I had a big car. I had to take it in, whatever. But I made it. 
And I can remember I had that paper and I, I passed the deal. And I can remember my first solo drive in my dad's car when he approved, he blessed it, and he said, here's the keys, son. And I remember driving to our local high school in Zanesville, Ohio, and I was driving uh, there in an, during an afternoon session where many of my uh, schoolmates were decorating for a special school event coming up later that night, or maybe it's the next day, I can't remember. And I'm, I'm driving I know the way to, to the high school, and I'm driving there, and I am just feeling bigger than life. I'm thinking, man, this, I, this is, I'm in control of this, and, and there's nobody telling me what to do, and I can take it anywhere that I want to go, anywhere in this country if I wanted to. Dad probably find me, but I mean, I, right now, I could just go anywhere I want, because I have my license, and, and I'm on my own, and I'm thinking, you know, Dad has no idea. My dad was a pastor, and so we, we had a man in our church that uh, worked at the Chevrolet uh, dealership, and so... It was time to get a different car, and, and so this man made my dad a really great deal on a demonstrator, one that he had been driving around for a while, and it happened to have a, some of you in my ear, you know what I'm talking about, a 396 engine in it. That, that's a strong engine. I mean, it'll, it'll really get up and go. And I'm thinking, I'm driving to the high school, and I'm thinking, you know, if I wanted to, I could burn rubber. I could do that. I'm not going to because I don't want my dad to get mad at me, but I could if I wanted to. I mean, I was really feeling my oats. There's only one thing wrong with that picture, though. It was my dad's car. And every time I drove from the age of 16 all the way until I was a sophomore in college, I was always borrowing dad's car or somebody's car in order to drive and to exercise my privilege. But everything changed one day when my Uncle Howard made me a good deal on my first car. And it was mine. I didn't have to give it back to anyone. It sat in front of the place wherever I lived at the time. It was at my beck and call. And just looking outside my window and seeing my car out there in the driveway or along the street side in the curb or whatever, it made me feel free. It made me feel happy inside. It was just, it was just like waiting for me to take the key and put it in the ignition and start it up and it was going to take me anywhere I wanted to go. Now you multiply that feeling of freedom and gladness about a million times. And that is why belonging to Jesus and having him inside our hearts should bring us such a spirit of rejoicing. It's so wonderful to know we don't have to ever give him back. We don't have to, we don't have to worry because he's not borrowed. He can't be stolen my son knows what that's about. You've heard my, me tell the story in Louisville. He had, he had both of his cars stolen in an hour's time right in front of his place. Don't have to worry about it being stolen. Jesus won't break down. <laughs> he can go anywhere at any time. And I don't ever have to feel alone or stuck in life without him. And all he requires is my love and for me to spend some time with him. That's all he wants. Now, on the next pathway to joy, today's word is going to help us deal with the 
number one mental, emotional, we may say it, problem that we face in America. And perhaps even around the world, if the truth be told. The number one problem in America is the problem of anxiety. That's why I had you repeat that word, anxiety, this morning. Anxiety, if we were to look at it from with a psychiatric definition perspective, now this is not out of the medical journal or anything like that, but let me just give you the, the thought behind this uh, in a statement, uh, helping us understand what we mean by anxiety. A state of apprehension, uncertainty, and fear resulting from the anticipation of a realistic or fantasized threatening event or situation, often impairing physical and psychological functioning. Let me break that down for you. I could call names, and you'd know probably who I was talking about, even if I didn't, but there's somebody here this morning that is having a little bit of anxiety about whether Aaron Rodgers can handle Tom Brady tonight. Okay? It's a bit of anxiety. It's there. And you understand what I... I didn't mention any names. All right. Uh, There's somebody that has some anxiety all over this country with what is going to come from the voting process on Tuesday. A little bit of anxiety about how that's going to work itself out. Anxiety. Uh, A fellow by the name of Joseph Mercola, Dr. Mercola, I think he's an OD, but anyway, he he made an interesting statement about why, why we say this is the number one problem in America. Let me quote from an article that he wrote. Listen to this. Now, this is all about anxiety. Paul is talking about anxiousness, right? We just read it. It's about anxiety. That's why we're talking about this. Anxiety is the new depression. With more than half of all American college students reportedly reporting anxiety. Recent research shows anxiety characterized by constant and overwhelming worry and fear is now 800% more prevalent than all forms of cancer. A 2016 report by the Center for Collegiate Mental Health at Penn State confirmed the trend, finding anxiety and depression are the most common concerns among college students who seek counseling. Data from the National Institute of Mental Health suggests the prevalence of anxiety disorders in the United States may be as high as 40, 40 million or about 18% of the population over the age of 18, making it the most common mental illness in the nation. Unquote. Now, so far, somebody's thinking, I came to church this morning feeling pretty good about things till the sermon. Somehow I'm feeling kind of anxious about stuff. I don't know. I hope you're not feeling that way this morning. But this is the Apostle Paul, and he's teaching us how to deal with these things that come into our lives because we all have anxiety. Everybody has anxiety. It may not be high anxiety, but everybody has some anxiety. Perhaps you're wondering why college students or college-age young people are so prone to anxiety when it seems like they have their whole lives in front of them. Why why would college students have anxiety? 
I got some college students down here. They could, I, I could have them come up here and they'd probably just tell us what it is. But I'll, I'll, I'll make up some stuff here and then they can tell you after the service whether I hit the mark, okay? Okay, so here, here's, here's a thought. Technology. Every young person has got a cell phone and most of those cell phones are disengaging people from developing relationships, which oftentimes leads to loneliness and oftentimes leads to uh, anxiety because we're not developing the friendships at the level that we really need in life. Here's another thought, not to pick on Facebook, but you got Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. These are new, these are programs that allow, here's what it does. It allows people to project or present themselves to the world as they want to be seen, not so much in terms of how they really are. And so sometimes what's presented out there, in contrast to how we really are, presents a dual identity scenario because we know we're not really what we suggested and it produces a tension between fantasy and reality. And that tension causes anxiety. They might not talk about it, may not think about it all the time, but inside we know what we're projecting is really a mask. It's not really the reality of of who we are. And so that might be something that is in there. Uh, Social media allows people to make comparisons. You know, you you can get on social media. You know, in the earlier generations, we didn't have this issue. But this generation uh, has that issue. And that issue is that it doesn't take us a New York minute to get online and we can see how somebody else is doing, how somebody else is living, what somebody else's house looks like, what kind of neighborhood they're in, what kind of car they're driving, what kind of clothes they're wearing, what kind of places they go to to have fun, where they take their vacations. I mean, you name it, you can, you can just find it all out there. And these comparisons sometimes produce anxiety. It makes me sometimes feel like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm doing so good compared to that guy or those people or whatever. And that can be a little form of anxiety. There is such a thing, college students, if you would not agree with me, and I know 100% of you will, there is such a thing as a high-cost ticket to pay for college. And uh, does that not, in fact, bring a little anxiety? How am I going to pay for this? Huh? It's a big deal. It's a big ticket. Amen? I got an amen on that one, so amen. Okay. And, you know, our world is filled with uncertainty, with wars and rumors of wars. There's typically a war going on somewhere around the world at any given time. And, it, you know, just even in the last, I mean, they still talk about the fact that we could have easily been at war with North Korea or whatever. And things can vacillate and things can happen. And so uh, it creates a, a potential future anxiety for some of our, our young people. And then, sadly, the heightened use of drugs, and I think that's probably self-explanatory. So there's just some thoughts about where anxiety comes from in terms of our, our young, young adults and why they may feel. You know, anxiety steals joy. Anxiety steals joy. And the absence of joy, first of all, it's not fun. It is not fun to not have any joy. It's more fun to have joy. And it could make things appear to people if we don't have joy. And I think that's why Paul is talking about this. He said the, the, the people that belong to Jesus and, and the true church of Jesus Christ needs to rejoice. He said, I'm telling you a second time, rejoice. Why? Because the people that are looking at our lives may be confused that we're not having any fun serving Jesus. 
that there's no real, real benefit by being involved in the Christian life because people are watching us. So Paul gives us a prescription for joy that I want to just share with you uh, because Jesus wants us to be joyful in our relationship with him. And our joy is useful in exposing people to the gospel. Your joy, how you share joy in your life, in, in your workplace, uh, when you're shopping, uh, in your neighborhood, and even in the life of the church, because we have people that don't know Jesus coming in and out of here all the time. Uh, it, it is a way to expose people to the gospel through our joy. So let's take a look at Paul's formula for joy real quick. Number four, verse four. Here we go. This one's fast. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If you weren't here last week, you can get the DVD. Uh, We've unpacked that one. And it's really all about having Jesus in our lives and his commitment to never abandon us. That's where joy comes from. All right? Now, verse 5. Let's take a look at verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, the Greek word for gentle spirit is iriakis. Iriakis. I'll try to say that, I think, right. Iriakis. Here's, here's what you may not know. There is no English word to accurately describe that Greek word. It takes multiple English words to get at the heart of what that Greek word for gentle spirit is really about. The closest that many commentators say that we might come to describing Iriakis, gentle spirit, is gracious or graciousness, the attitude of being gracious toward life and toward others. One commentator put it this way, and I quote, it's, now remember, gentle spirit, here we go, I quote, sweet reasonableness, generosity, goodwill, friendliness, magnanimity, charity, toward the faults of others. Do you ever get an F on that one? I, I have in the past. Charity toward the faults of others? <laughs> I've got illustrations I could tell you about just yesterday about a guy that cut me off and whatever and what, you know, and so, so I, I disciplined myself, God help me, but, but it doesn't come natural in those moments sometimes. Charity, back to the quote, charity toward the faults of others, mercy toward the failures of others. Mercy, not judgment, not criticism, but mercy toward the failures of others, back to the quote, indulgence of the failures of others, leniency, big-heartedness, moderation, forbearance, and gentleness are all some of the attempts to capture the rich meaning of its epiakes. No, I said ariates. It's epiakes. Sorry. All of those words trying to describe this one word that Paul used. This gentle spirit that Paul describes is literally the opposite, it seems to me, of what our culture calls for or cries for in wanting a greater self-esteem, I want greater uh, self-fulfillment and reality. Uh, it's all about my self-love. It's, it's really about me and what have you done for me lately. So when our focus is always on me, it becomes a breeding ground for anxiousness 
and feelings of fear, failure, and the future. You see, to sum it up a little bit, when our guiding values from our relationship with Jesus who's in us moves us toward a gentle spirit toward others, it keeps us, catch this, it keeps us from getting knocked out of balance when inequities happen. It keeps us from getting thrown off course when things come into our lives that either don't make sense or are extremely painful or that we feel trapped and we can't do anything about uh, or there's tremendous suffering or there's tremendous grief that goes on in our lives. And, and it helps us to come back to balance in the Lord. It's in the Lord. Here, here's why. Sometimes we get lied about. If I told you how many times people have told lies about me in the last 48 years of serving the Lord in ministry, it, it'll make your, your hair stand on end, even if you didn't have any. I, I have, so have you. You've had people lie about you. And we be, become targets. And you need to be, so we need to be careful about the things that we let in our ears and what we allow ourselves to believe from time to time. We're going to have people that not only lie about us, sometimes we don't get treated fairly. And sometimes we don't get justice. But those challenges don't throw us into joyless anxiety when we understand these principles of truth. In the Lord, we come back to balance. What helps us come back to balance? Two thoughts. On the last little phrase of that verse, he says, the Lord is near. How does that help? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Two thoughts. One thought by some is that it refers to the Lord's return. That's part of what we heard about in the communion time, that there's a time. And Tyler, thank you, Tyler, for that excellent uh, word to us before communion. That there is an aspect of looking forward to Christ's return. And so if that is the thought that Paul has here, that Jesus is coming back, then simply remembering that Jesus could return at any time, and we don't want him to find us in some anxiety crisis, hello? Anybody want Jesus to come back for his church and for you and for me and find us in an anxiety crisis? I mean, I, we might, it might happen, but I don't want it to be that way. I, I want him to, to find me with joy, because he told me to. He told me to rejoice twice, he said. Rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice. I said, no, I'm pouting, I'm having a pity poor me party. Sorry, I didn't get it done. I'm messing up on this. Or I don't want him to find me in that kind of a state. I, I want him to find me, serve, me finding him, finding me serving him with joy and gladness. We want him to find us operating at our best when he returns. Amen? Amen? Right. But here's another thought. The Lord is near. There's the possibility that the Lord is near reminds us that Jesus always being with, within us, it carries a certain accountability with it because we understand that he sees everything we think and everything we say and everything we do because he is with us, he is in us. And so the word from Paul might be to stay sharp and stay focused. This is a message to the church. Stay sharp and stay focused. Don't let anxiety Get the best of you. Don't allow that to ruin the joy that Jesus has for you. I love what Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase, the message, how he puts this verse. Listen to what he says. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet 
that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Now, that's beautiful. Now, when he says, uh, let make people feel like that, that you're on their side, that doesn't mean that you have to vote for the same person. It doesn't mean that you have to agree 100% on every little thing. What you're saying is that as we relate to people in joy, let's let people know that we're doing life together. We're trying to get through this life together that God has given us, and we should be on one another's side, wanting the best for each other. Amen? I think that's what it's driving at. All right, let's look at verse 6 before I start to run out of time. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Wow, this is incredible right here. I, I, I found something that I had not seen before in studying uh, these, th- these passages, and I want to show it to you. Paul does something here I think is going to bless your heart when we see him take the Old Testament and the New Testament on this subject of this verse and draw it together in a way that maybe you haven't seen before. It was new to me. There are three active words Paul gives us to help us avoid anxiousness. Look at the verse. All right, let's see if you can see, spot them. One is prayer. That's simply talking with God. There is the word supplication. That's crying out with deep feelings over a need, some need. And thirdly, the concept of thanksgiving, which is having an attitude of gratefulness. So let's review those three. He says the key, the key to joy is to pray, is to call out to God with the things that deeply burden your heart, and to be thankful for all that he's done in the past and all that he, he will do in the future. Paul is saying that prayer involving these three elements is how we find God's peace, that restfulness, that calmness. That is how we find God's peace in hard places. It's easy to find God's peace on the mountaintop. But you're talking about halfway down the mountain and on the way down into the, the, the valley. That's not fun. And this is the way we find God's peace in hard places in life. Or... Some of the places that we find ourselves going to in our mind when anxiety begins to step in and take control of our joy. And much of that is fantasy. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I want to show you something about a time when when one of God's honored servants, Daniel, in the Old Testament, Daniel was taken captive to Babylon. He was uprooted along with the, his people and taken to a foreign country. He was in a desperate place, evicted from his homeland, and in a country that worshipped idols and asked them to bow down to kings. I want to show you something Daniel did that brought him God's peace and brought him God's protection from anxiety, high anxiety. Let's look at Daniel 6, starting verse 7. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, this is of Babylon, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days 
shall be cast into the lion's den. Anybody that doesn't bow down to you, O king, anybody that prays to another king or to another god or whatever, is going to be cast into the lion's den. Now, do you think that Daniel had cause for anxiety? Because Daniel was a praying guy. All right, let's read what happens in verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Listen to this. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, the king signed it. They talked him into signing it and said, anybody that does this deal, you're going in the lion's den, you're going to get eaten alive. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. What was he doing? Praying, giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and what? Supplication before his God. Isn't that interesting? I had never seen that before. The same three elements. The same three pieces. Old Testament to New Testament. It's the same formula. They ultimately threw Daniel in the lion's den. And if you know the story, you know God saved him. So this similarity to what Paul has written to the church, prayer, talking to God, supplication, crying out with deep uh, passion uh, and feelings over a need, and then being thankful to God, having an attitude of gratefulness, this is the formula. Let me say this. This is not a statement against proper medication. Did everybody hear me say that? I didn't say anything against proper medication. But this is the formula without medication, for overcoming anxiety. And anxiety, if the surveys are correct, is a big deal in America. So it's worth talking about in the church. Amen? Thank you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, God's peace, see, when we follow this formula of the prayer, the supplication, and the thanksgiving, this formula, it brings God's peace. And God's peace guards our hearts and our minds from being tossed to and fro by the winds of anxiety and of what might happen. God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds from what? God's peace will guard your heart and your mind from what? From thoughts, thoughts that are destructive, thoughts that cause our minds to be divided sometimes from reality. The anxiety Paul has been talking about here is the Greek word merimnao, merimnao. And it literally means to divide the mind. It's from merizo to divide and nous, which is, is the mind, the intellect. They join those two words together to form meranao, and it means to have a divided mind. Anxiety, follow me now, I'm going to wind this down here. Anxiety occurs when the mind is divided. What is it divided by? It is divided between legitimate thoughts that are reality and are proper and, and okay, thumbs up and balanced, and destructive thoughts, on the other hand, that aren't true that aren't based in reality, that are just the fantasy of the mind that is worrying. 
You have both of those. So you have, a, you have a divided mind when anxiety begins to take control. That's why in James 1, and we studied, remember when we studied James 1, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8? Listen, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." What's interesting is that word in the Greek for peace, that word for, the, for, the, for, for peace that he uses here is irene, and it means one again, one again. It means a mind that is not divided now. It was divided by anxiety, but God's peace makes it one mind again. It brings us back to balance, back to togetherness, back to reality. Let me share this little word with you, and maybe this will help you. 500 years ago, uh, Michael de Montaigne said this, and I quote, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened, unquote. Now, there's a study that proves this. Uh, this study looked at uh, how our imagined uh, difficulties in life, imagined uh, calamities that might befall us, uh, uh, looking at the fact that many of those never materialize. In, in this study that they ran, the subjects were asked, write down your worries over an extended period of time, and then come back and identify which of those imagined misfortunes actually did or did not happen. And so a fellow by the name of Don Goway, I don't know if I pronounce it right, this is what he concluded from that study. It turned, and I quote, it turns out that 85% of what subjects worried about never happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected, or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. This means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misconceptions, perceptions, I should say, unquote. That is the divided mind at work. And Satan is, the Bible says, Satan is adept. That means he's really good at sending thoughts to divide our minds from the truth. Satan is really good at that. And that's why sometimes people need, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a counselor or someone, to help them separate truth from reality, uh, from fantasy. Because he's so good at, at sending those, those thoughts that, that are, that they, they can mean, they can seem so real, so right, so right on. The divided mind is the anxious mind. The anxious mind does not have peace. No peace, no joy. So if we learn to talk to God first, if we learn to tell Him our deepest concerns, and then we thank Him from a grateful heart for His past love and care, the message says it like this. I love it. He says, before you know it, 
if you will first talk to God, when you're starting to feel this anxiety popping up or you get this seed idea or thought in your head and you're starting to worry and become anxious and what he said, don't try to figure it out first. Don't go run to somebody and ask your friend what it means or whatever it is. The very first thing that believers in Christ need to do is run to God and say, God, I need to have a talk with you. And I want to tell you the, the biggest burden that I have on my heart right now. And I'm not sure how to process everything. And oh, by the way, thanks for everything you've already done for me at the cross. Thanks for all the stuff you've already fixed in my life. Thanks for all the times that you saved me on the highways and byways of life. Thanks for bailing me out of these issues and problems that I've had that I did. maybe sometimes haven't even, it hasn't even dawned on me and I haven't even thanked you for it. Thank you for that. He says, Eugene Peterson says, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Unquote. You see, Jesus, Jesus himself pushed back against needless worry and anxiety. Now, I'm going to read a little, little passage here, and I'm done. This is what he said. This is, these are the words of Jesus. For this reason, I say to you, church, Christians, Do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All these things, including the peace, the oneness of mind, that God can protect us from all that divisiveness and the unity and the spirit that we need in our minds so we don't have divided minds. He said, all these things will be added to you. So I close with this thought and a prayer to God for us and for those who might be listening on the internet down the road. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to supplicate, to bear our biggest burden, yearning, passion to you. And then, by the way, thanks for all the stuff you do for me. Thanks for all the things that you might do before I even go to be with you forever. Thank you, God. I have such a spirit of gratefulness for you. So Jesus wants to draw close to you today. I want you to know that. This is from Jesus. He wants to draw close to you today. I'm not talking about salvation. Many of us have already stepped into that world, and thank, thank the Lord for that. 
If you've not met the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never have the kind of peace that I've been talking about except through Jesus Christ because he's the only pathway to a relationship with God. And so if you need to know how to do that, we we stand here ready to help you with that. So call us on the phone, make an appointment, stop and see one of us, come to this altar, we'll pray with you. We will help you with that. But to the true church of Jesus Christ, Jesus wants you to know, because some of you came in here with anxiety today. You have anxiety. It doesn't mean you're in sin. It doesn't mean that you're high anxiety and about to have to go off the deep end. It just means we all have a form of anxiety from time to time. Some of you have some anxiety if you're going to be able to, you know, get to the restaurant on time. You know, am I going to let you out in a reasonable way? There's anxiety in this world, okay? He, he wants you to live in the freedom of his presence and his provision. And he wants to give you greater hope than you came in here with. What need do you have this week? That Jesus, only Jesus can meet. How persistent will you be in turning toward Jesus and asking him to meet that need? How can you become available to meet the needs of someone else? These are great things for us to think about. And if you've been dealing with anxiety and you've felt like you've had a divided mind, (laughs) just remember some of these studies, even secular science can prove the fact that most of that stuff is a lie from the devil. Most of it. Most of it. It just doesn't come to be. But Jesus can help us sort out that which is productive from that which is destructive in our lives. Don't let anxiety jerk you around. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence in your house today to have fellowship to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit here in this place, uh, to break bread together in the Lord's Supper, to be able to present tithes and offerings to let you know how much we love you and how we consider it a privilege to serve you with our pocketbooks. Thank you for the labor of love and the talents and different things you've put within so many in this body, whether it's uh, reaching out to the needs of, uh, of, of mothers-to-be, uh, and embrace grace, or whether it's making uh, sacks of groceries for people who are, are needy, uh, whether it is uh, continuing to faithfully support our missions endeavors all around this world, uh, whether it is just uh, teaching in a class, whether it is helping look after the property of this church and how the lawns look so good and how the roof is repaired and how so many good things are happening, Lord. We thank you for all of that. We have a spirit of thankfulness and gratefulness. And we just thank you that we can talk to you through this vehicle called prayer. Help us to do it more. And Lord, may you just hear the burdens of our hearts from time to time when we think to do it. And we pray that we will do these things first, what Paul suggested, that we'll do it first before we entertain the lies of the devil or the ideas of mankind. Because Paul said to us, and we receive it, that the mind of man, the mind of woman, cannot comprehend the truth of God's Word in the way that we need it. And so we keep striving to study this Word, to go through it and to pick it apart and try to unpack it the best that we can so that we will be people of joy and gladness. Let us rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Bless us now as we go our way. 
Uh, Lord, we've got a great weekend coming up with something called Stratop, where a team is going to be prayerfully looking to you to give us wisdom and direction for the days ahead for this ministry here. We believe in it. We believe that you want to see it move in ways and places uh, that perhaps we've never known or been before. And we pray for this team and for those who are leading it. And may it be a great weekend, and may we not miss your perfect pleasure. Protect us from harm from the enemy, and settle us down on anxiety in our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said together, amen, and praise the Lord. God bless you. Hug somebody, meet a new friend. Don't let a stranger walk out without a handshake.